Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we will discuss the state of the economy and what is happening in Congress with AAF's Douglas Holtzaken. Doug, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Before we get started, I do have to wish you a happy birthday and thanks for joining us on the podcast. There is no better way to celebrate. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I even wore a tie for this occasion, so. Uh, duly impressed and noted on the permanent record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might have Alyssa, like, you know, put in the uh, happy birthday song here, but there might be some royalty issues involved. We'll have to see. As long as we don't sing, okay? We can't destroy <laughs> all the listenership. Don't worry. <laughs> I won't sing, Doug. I don't do that, so you're fine. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into it. While everyone else has been talking about the uh, the Russian aggression in the Ukraine and the Supreme Court nomination, Doug, we, we turn to you for all of the economic and fiscal news that we may have missed over the past couple of weeks. Let's dig below the, the headline numbers to gauge uh, you know, the health of the economy and discuss what Congress must do and may do in 2022. But first on the economy, the focus has been on inflation for a, a while now. Um, so let's start there. Doug, would you just review the top line inflation numbers and remind us why they matter so much? Well, I, the ones we hear so much about are the consumer price index, uh, and that's uh, up at a rate of 7% in uh, December 2021, our most recent data, over December 2020. The big components of a household budget are food, energy, and shelter, and that's up 8.2%, those components. So that's why they, you're hearing so much about inflation, because it's very visible, it's very real, and it's affecting uh, every American household. It's also true that wages are rising, but wages are not rising as fast as inflation. So if you look at the 5% uh, increase in average hourly earnings and compared to the 7% of inflation, you're falling behind by 2%. And, and that's a concern for everybody. We got the most recent inflation data uh, last week. Now, this is the data from the National Income Product Counts, different survey than the Department of Labor's Consumer Price Index. It is the uh, personal consumption expenditure, so what you and I spend on, on goods and services. And it's the price index for that uh, measured by the, the Bureau of Economic Analysis at the Department of Commerce. The reason it matters is this is the one the Fed thinks is mo the most reliable. And so if you look at that, it's lower. It's running at about a 6% annual rate. And if you look at the pieces that are market-based, so they're actually based on where, where you spent money, where I spent money, not something where a statistician is trying to guess the value, that's also going up at 6%. So no matter how you slice it, Inflation is high, you know, over three times or three times the, the Fed's target of 2%, and they have an issue. And so they are they are moving quickly uh, to change their posture from one of extreme accommodation, that's the, the term of art, where we have interest rates at zero, and where the Fed has been actually pumping cash into the economy by going out and buying up $120 billion worth of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Every time they do that, they're, they're paying with cash, essentially electronically, and so they've been pumping cash into the economy, they now have to do a U-turn. They have to stop pumping it in, start taking it out. They put in about four and a half trillion in the crisis, and they're gonna start raising rates. So we're going to see this increase in, in rates starting in March. We're gonna see uh, stopping buying stuff and then starting to sell off some stuff uh, probably in the mid-summer. And that's, that's gonna be a big change, and that's all driven by these inflation numbers. The big trick here 
is that the Fed wants to tap the brakes and get rid of the inflation, but not tap them so hard that you stop forward progress, stop having growth, stop having job creation. And, and that's the position they're stuck in. It's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, stay tuned. Um, now, there, there has been more um, data that's come out, and, and probably the thing we should talk about is jobs report. People always are paying attention to jobs. You know, we're recording this on a Thursday. Jobs report comes out tomorrow. Uh, as it turns out, the way they do the jobs report is they go out into the field during a particular week, which they call the reference week. And for the, the January jobs report, that reference week was the peak of, of Omicron COVID cases uh, nationwide. And so there's a deep concern that we're going to get a very weak jobs report. So a lot of people will have been out sick. They will not be viewed, um, reported as employed and, and we could have a, a very weak report. We saw yesterday the ADP report, which is a private sector payroll processing report. It said there were uh, a loss of 300,000 uh, odd jobs in the US economy. That's a precursor of the kind of thing people are worried about tomorrow. It, it's, it's misleading. And I think we know this. Um, there's another survey called the uh, ISM. It's the, the um, supply managers. And they have these indexes of activity. If you look at their January index, it shows employment rising. And that's a, an index that's surveyed throughout the month, not just concentrated in the week. So the broader you look, the stronger the economy is going to look. And certainly, if everyone was sick in January and they're back on the job in February, we're going to get an enormous number in February. So this is one of those occasions where you just want to take it with a grain of salt, it's one month's data, and look past it to the basic strength that we've got. There's a lot there, so let's try to unpack some of unpack and you know talk about some of those different issues a little further. You had an interesting dish recently um, about inflation, where you pointed towards you know a lot of people talk about the food and gas prices, but housing is also an issue here, right? Yeah, shelter, owner-occupied housing, or or rental housing. Uh, the, that's a third of the market basket for the typical uh, household. So a third of the, the monthly incomes headed out the door to pay for their shelter, either their rent or their mortgage. So uh, shelter is a big deal and shelter inflation is a big deal. It's also not terribly volatile. This isn't like oil prices bouncing up and down. It's not like there's a bad harvest and corn prices bounce up and down. You know, shelter is something that's out there. People want it all the time. It gets built relatively slowly. It's hard to expand. Uh, the supply of housing very quickly. And so if you look at the shelter inflation, you've got a pretty good indicator of where you are and where you're headed. And that's not a good news story. We have seen shelter inflation rise to uh, 4% and continually is continuing to rise. And that, that means that you're double the, the Fed target and you have something that's hard to bring down. Indeed, if you want to get down to the 2% target, you can't have inflation anywhere else. You got to have you know, you have your 5% in shelter and zero elsewhere, that gets you to about two. And so when you hear people say, oh, we're going to get inflation under control by the end of 2022, we'll be down to the target. That's going to be awfully hard. That means you have zero inflation elsewhere and just shelter inflation. Not going to happen. You mentioned Fed, the Federal Reserve as well. They met last week. We learned a, a host of different things from, from that meeting um, that they had, I think their their policy meeting that they had. Um, what's the Fed's track record on dealing with inflation in the past? What what are, what are the concern, your concerns around how they dealt with this in the past? So uh, the Fed has, in fact, dealt with inflation in the past. We had very high inflation in the, the 70s into the early 80s, and the Fed uh, got it out of the economy. We had um, little... Upticks in inflation in the 90s, and the Fed got it out of the economy. 
The bad news is the it has never successfully taken on a, a surge in inflation without causing a recession. Like there's this theoretical concept called the soft landing, raise rates enough, squeeze liquidity enough that uh, the inflation comes down, but you actually continue to grow, hasn't happened. So uh, their track record at controlling inflation is good. Their track record of doing it without some really economic pain is is not good. And that's what that's what you should be concerned about this year and next year. Interesting. Something we'll have to continue to watch. There's been speculation about how quickly the Fed will move with all of this. You, you mentioned that the first rate hike is happening in March and by how much the Fed will raise rates this year. What do you see as the sweet spot on all this? Well, the the Fed has really held its cards very close to its vest. I mean, uh, Chairman Powell held a news conference, which I watched, and he emphasized just how strong the labor market is. So look past the top line numbers. We've seen payroll growth, demand for labor be very, very strong. We see unemployment at, at you know near historic lows in many cases, and we've seen wages rising. And so there's lots of indicators that the economy is very strong. Him making a real point about that is is him saying, look, we can't afford to raise rates, right? This this economy is going to be strong enough to take it. They didn't say how fast. They didn't say how many times. They didn't say how much. But we know they'll do probably do a quarter point in March, and then they'll take a look at how things are going. And they'll probably do a quarter point, maybe four consecutive meetings this, this year. Um, my guess is they will move early, and they will not move too aggressively. They'll do a quarter point. They won't do a half a point or something like that. They'll want to front load as much of this as they can for two reasons. Number one, uh, monetary policy takes a while to, to impact the economy. So you have to start early and see the impacts later in the year and into next year. Um, number two, Fed doesn't really like raising interest rates in the middle of election season. So it's going to try to do this before you get into the September, October period, just prior to the election. And so I expect to see us, you know, rates at say 1% uh, federal funds rate uh, by the end of the summer. Uh, if you think about it and you say, okay, inflation is going to come down from seven to say four or five, pick your number, that still means interest rates are in real terms are negative. I mean, so that's not exactly aggressive monetary policy, but it's a change from where they are. On the indicators, uh, you've already mentioned, of course, the jobs day numbers that's coming out tomorrow. And of course, the White House is already out there tamping down the expectations because of the spike from Omicron. You've already talked about what the January numbers will tell us and how how much we should read into it. But how will this all look, jobs numbers look for the rest of the year? So one of the things that I think gets lost in the news coverage and which frustrates me to no end is that when you have a big recession, and we had an enormous recession in the spring of 2020, we lost 20 million jobs in a month, um, you know, 10 times larger than we had ever lost before. That means there are a lot of people to put back to work. And that means you can, quote, create a lot of jobs pretty easily. You know, just open the door, come in, please, here, take this job. And, and so you get these big jobs numbers and everyone's like, saying, oh, my God, this is an amazing performance. No, it's like having a ball roll downhill. Anyone can do it. Gravity's there. It goes downhill. This year, it gets tougher. Right now, the unemployment rate's very low. Um, we've got uh, issues still with um, the pandemic. And so some restrictions on people's willingness and ability to go back to work, labor force participation is not recovered to what it was before. So to to create a job, you have to have both a firm that needs somebody and a body available to put them in that opening. That's going to be harder this year. And so I, I think you don't judge success by that you know, 500,000 jobs a month. Those days are over. We're, we're back to much more modest numbers. And we've seen that already. 
even prior to this report that we're going to get tomorrow, we saw November and December, you know, at, at the 200,000 below mark. That, that's not a surprise. That's exactly what should be happening. Beyond the CPI and jobs numbers that we're gonna that we'll see, what other key indicators are you looking at to gauge the economic health? Well, the other thing that we we've you know started to pay attention to is a survey that's been around for about 10, 15 years called the JOLTS, the Job Openings and Labor Turnover. Uh, this asks the question: How many people did you hire? How many people did you lay off or or, did, or left? And uh, it's in it's. Instead of getting that jobs number, this shows you the pieces that contribute to it. How many coming in, how many going out. You can sort of uh, see what the dynamics are. That's been fascinating because this is where we've gotten the information on people quitting their jobs at these amazing rates. Uh, we saw we got the most recent jobs data and uh, the quit rate has come down infinitesimally. It's still quite high, near, nearly historically high. Uh, and there's still lots and lots of job openings out there. And so this is an economy with tons of labor demands. Uh, and most of the issues on the labor supply side. All right. Well, let's turn to Congress um, in 2022. There are a handful of things that that we know they have to get done, that they must get done. What what are they? <laughs> well, typically you have to fund the government, and and on both sides you see no particular appetite for government shutdowns and and those kinds of things. So um, the question is, how will they fund the government? The preferred way to do it is to pass the appropriations bills and fund each agency appropriately, and off you go. Uh, that ship has sailed. We didn't get it done by uh, September 30th, and so the fiscal year started on a so-called continuing resolution, which just says, here's more money, keep doing what you were doing before. There's no evidence that they've reached a deal on what would be a new funding uh, regime uh, under the Biden administration. So uh, we're probably going to get, on February 18th, another short-term more of the same continuing resolution. They'll continue to negotiate. Eventually, there will be an, uh, a, quote, omnibus. They'll throw all the appropriations bills together. They'll pass that out, uh, and they'll, they'll fund it for the remainder of this, this fiscal year. That's worth watching because with the omnibus usually comes some surprise, something that tags along. Uh, you add another ornament to the Christmas tree, and and sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes it's it's just a piece of junk, you know, bluntly. So, uh, I, I think that process is worth watching because not a lot is, as you know, getting done in Congress that you have to keep an eye on. The Build Back Better Act um, remains a zombie. Um, so, you know, does it have a chance of, of reviving in some form? No clue at this point. I, I can't tell. What about uh, fiscal year 2023? As you mentioned, we're already a third of the way through this fiscal year. Um, and we already know the president's budget is going to be late to Congress. I think it's supposed to be due on, what, the second Monday in February or the first? I'm a former CBO director, and I'm just like sitting here appalled. I mean, uh, th there's a cycle that's written into the 74 budget law where CBO is supposed to, so, supposed to put out the January budget and economic outlook. It's not out. Uh, that's supposed to be followed by the president's budget in, in early February. That's not going to be out. Uh, then you're supposed to do budget resolutions in the House, Senate and agree to one for the Congress as a whole. They're not going to do that. So we've got nothing that resembles following the budget uh, structure. So they will be cobbling together something in an election year to keep the government funded and not much more. So look for more CRs, you know, more not really making decisions, but just making sure things keep running. 
Yeah, I know you think there's some interesting stuff in the president's budget and how they look at the economy and how they look at spending. So what do you foresee it laying out anything, any new initiatives when they finally bring it out? Um, and how rosy will their picture of economic growth be? The, the president's budget has, in my lifetime, in the last 20 years especially, really diminished in importance. Um, Congress doesn't really pay much attention to it when they start putting together the appropriations bills. As I mentioned, they're probably not going to put them together this year. So it becomes more of a vision statement. So the, you get in the president's budget, boy, wouldn't it be great if we had, you know, Build Back Better will probably be in there, for example. This is what we need. Um, statement of, of our, our the true north from our uh, point of view on, on fiscal policy. This administration has, um, you know, not spent a lot of time worrying about debt deficits, uh, and they have emphasized that the measure they like is to look not at the debt relative to GDP, but at the the interest cost of carrying that debt relative to GDP, and even better. Let's look at the real interest cost relative to real GDP. And the reason that's so good is interest rates are at zero, real interest rates are negative. So they, there's a negative cost to what they're up to. And so they, they featured that last year. They'll feature that again. I think that's um, cherry picking the the, uh, the indicators. No one believes we're in good fiscal shape. And, and that indicator will be, you know, sort of put aside pretty quickly. But there'll be some, there'll be some talk about those things. That's what I expect to see, vision statements, um, the, the real work is, is going to be done in Capitol Hill to just keep the government funded. The list of things that Congress may be able to do seems to get shorter every day. Um, you know, we're coming up on the election and there's a whole bunch of other things out there. What wish list things do you see Congress pushing this year? Well, I think the, the live option outside of the usual suspects are, are these, uh, quote, anti-China bills in the House and the Senate. The, the Senate has passed its version, the, the so-called USICA Act, and, and these are attempts to use industrial policy, which is to say pick winners and losers among the U.S. Uh, sectors of the economy as a way to combat with, uh, uh, do economic competition with, with China and, and enhance national security. So they're, they're in there, for example, $52 billion for semiconductor, a semiconductor fabrication plant in the U.S., so we don't reliance on uh, supply chains from overseas, and we can have a, the chips that we need. There are investments in uh, research so that, you know, when you do the cutting edge AI things, when you start looking at uh, the uses of 5G past the commercial uses, what are they going to have? All sorts of sort of trying to push the edge and, and compete on the technology front with China. House has a, a, a another version called the Competes Act. Uh, they're working on that right now and anticipate uh, going to vote on that in the near future. Uh, that that could get together. Um, I think mechanically, the fact that this gets done in, quote, regular order, which means they need 60 votes in the Senate to pass whatever they finally agree on, means Republicans matter, means that you're probably going to get something that looks closer to the Senate version as the final version. Um, the House version, you know, which we passed on a party line vote, uh, just can't make it through the Senate. So uh, that, that's that's the one that um, Majority Leader Schumer has has openly uh, wanted to get done before the election. That's probably the highest uh, probability. Um, I think there are, there are there's a fair amount of skepticism because the the there's a, a a genuine sort of desire to compete effectively against uh, Chinese influence, but once you start doing that, you, 
and saying, you know, you, you, you guys, you're the ones who get the money. Everyone wants the money. And so you open yourself up to, to really just handing money, taxpayer money out to subsidize industries because they, they're, they're in the political mix. And, and so this kind of an environment where that bill is live while they're putting together an omnibus, if they don't get it in this bill, maybe they get it tagged in the omnibus. That's why it's worth watching that stuff. You know, one one thing that you didn't mention, which I find interesting because it's been sort of the centerpiece of President Biden's agenda is is climate change. What will we see any legislation on on climate change trying to be pushed through? I honestly don't think so. Um, I'm wrong a lot, as you know. So, you know, maybe maybe that happens. Um, you know, that that was part of the Build Back Better uh, agenda. I, I didn't think it was nearly big enough to be consequential, uh, but it was in there. Uh, it's more likely that we will see very aggressive uh, administrative actions, regulations and, and rulemaking on the, the climate front uh, during this year. I think that's what we're likely to see the administration rely on. So they've started that process with uh, uh, a, a greenhouse gas emissions rule that came out um, at the end of uh, last year, made, it made last year the most expensive first year for any regulatory um, uh, budget that, that we've seen. And so, you know, that that really stood out. We're going to get another one, which is going to be the, the cafe rule out of the Department of Transportation. We're going to get emissions restrictions on electric utilities. Uh, we're going to see all sorts of energy efficiency standards coming out of the Department of Energy. You name it, they'll be uh, regulating. And, and I expect that to be a big part of what they do to address climate change and to position themselves prior to the election. Interesting. Um, finally, for both Democrats and Republicans for the economy, what is the best course of action that Congress can take prior to the elections? Uh, stay out of the way. You know, this <laughs> is in the end an economy that is not run from Washington. It's not built back better from Washington. It's it's a uh, an economy that relies heavily on private markets and and uh, individual enterprises and. And it's those are perfectly capable of, of producing the growth that people desire. Um, as I've said, labor demand is red hot. So people are willing to hire out there. Households are in good financial shape. No real issues on their balance sheets, no big debts. Um, income growth is, has been very strong. So you don't need stimulus. You don't need any fancy management economy. Just let it grow. And so I think this is the, the, the point in the relay race where you hand the baton to the private sector and you say go and um, uh, turn your attention to other things. Well, Doug, since this is our last podcast before the Super Bowl, which, who's your pick? Who are you going for? Oh, I don't know what to even think. I mean, I, these two teams don't belong in the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm a Steelers fan. It's hard for me to say anything nice about the Bengals. That's a, a reflex. But honestly, the Rams have a lot of talent and the and the, the ability to just squander it at any moment. I mean, they, they they play very sloppy football at times. So, you know, I think you know the Bengals will probably get give up uh, fifteen sacks and and win six three. It'll be it'll be a terrible game. I think every week that you and I have talked about who's going to win this weekend, both of us have both of these teams losing, and somehow we yeah, here we are <laughs> here. So clearly, it shows that we should stick to maybe talking about policy and let the let the sports analysts do the the hard work yeah i think this is a fun conversation let's make sure it gets edited out <laughs> <laughs> doug thanks again i will see you next time thanks 
I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.